Read some up. Fratelloni's Hardware and Garden Stores brings you Garage Logic Podcast number 1177, October 24th, 2023. 82 degrees on this day in 1989, and 15 degrees was the low on this day in 1887. Hail the flashlight, King! Hail you! And now, from you the mayor's corner stuff, the boat house oh, on the east shore yes. of Spoon Lake, well, we it's Garage it. Logic with Chris Reavers, Manning Technology Corner, Kenny Olson from the Krabby Coffee Shop, John Height in the newsroom, and of course, the rookie. Here is your flashlight king, fireworks commissioner, and the keeper of common sense, your mayor, Joe Sushir. It's time to jam with the mayor of GL with another author's corner. God Highly help produced. me. Highly produced. We have Mary Gabriel in studio. For I know, what? I know her as Dickie. She's a longtime friend and family member. And Jennifer. You it's cannot. time for author's corner. Now, here's Joe Suchere. Dickie is the author of Madonna, A Rebel Life. This is a big deal. You're getting global attention for this book. And I have many, many questions. This is very unlike Garage Logic to talk to uh, anyone about Madonna. But uh, this is this the definitive work? I don't think it is, Joe. You know, because first of all, she's still alive. Right. So I can't call it definitive. And, you know, any biography, when you think about it, is just my idea of this person. Uh, it's like cooking a meal. You know, I accumulated all these ingredients, and this is what I came up with. But somebody else could take those same ingredients, cook it a little bit different, and it would be a different story. So I don't think there is such a thing as a definitive biography. Why would you take on such a massive... This is 800 pages, if not more, and you had to cut some. I had to cut 600 pages. 600 oh. pages? It's a huge story. You know, wow. She's, she's been working for 40 years. Right. That's just her professional life. So she's alive 65 years. She's not just a singer. She's not just a dancer. She's not just a star of videos and films and a film director and an author and a fashion icon. You know, she's this cultural figure who's moved mountains for women all around the world and gays and lesbians. And so to try to tell that story in one volume was really difficult. But why her, knowing she wasn't going to talk to you? Well, I'll tell you. Well, first of all, I I hoped I had hoped when I started this she would. You know, I was really naive. But it's because my last book, um, Ninth Street Women, was about five women painters, and I really enjoyed writing about women artists. And I also enjoyed living in that time. You know, it was this wild time of drinking and crazy creativity, and everybody worked all day and hung out in bars all night. And it was really fun to be there because as a, as a biographer, you have to live these people's lives. So I wanted to keep telling a story like that and focusing on, a, on women artists. But I thought if I did a, another book on painters, I would just repeat myself. So I started looking around for another subject. And I was not a Madonna fan whatsoever. You know, mm -hmm. I bet at enough grocery stores to have heard her songs, but mm -hmm. I never paid any attention to her, except that some of the people I worked with at Reuters when I was a journalist, some of the kind of hardcore women journalists liked her mm -hmm. and would go to her concerts and dress up like her. And I always thought, wow, that's kind of weird, you know, because they're really tough broads, these mm -hmm. women. Um, but so I, I noted her and I put her back in my hamper, you know, my mental hamper, that maybe I should look at her, look at her and listen to her someday. And so when I started this book, 
coincidentally, I still had that in the back of my mind. And she gave this 2016 speech at the Billboard Music Women Music of Woman in Music of the Year Award, mm-hmm. and it was this unbelievable statement, this feminist statement, right after the Trump election, when a lot of women were still feeling very raw, and she she was so honest. And, you know, this was the most powerful woman, arguably, in the entertainment world, saying, I'm a doormat. This is the, this is the shit I've had to go through mm-hmm. in my career. Mm-hmm. And I came away from that thinking, God, I don't know anything about this woman. Mm-hmm. You know, she laid out her life very briefly. So I started reading about her, thinking maybe this is a subject. And, in fact, it just got more and more fascinating to me. So I went into it thinking, wow, I've always written about dead people. Now I've got a live one. I can actually talk to her. I didn't realize how impossible that was. Did you you try? Oh, my God, for five years. But there's a level of celebrity that you cannot, you can't penetrate that ceiling, you know, unless I, if I was Diane Sawyer, maybe. But even if I was Diane Sawyer, I'd probably have to do some begging. Does that mean this book is not important to her? No, I don't think, I think it's very important to her because... You know, it's out there and it's getting a lot of attention and she doesn't want a story about her life out there that isn't accurate, you know, because even if it's not authorized, it still reflects on her. So I think it's very important. It's just that. Well, that's the catch 22 then. Why wouldn't she want to talk to you to set the story straight and say. Because she at the time, the timing was, it was difficult. Um, She's, she, with her own life story. She'll only talk to certain people. You know, she grants interviews to certain people. If she's coming out with a new album, she'll talk to 20 journalists a day, you know, and they all ask mm-hmm. the same questions, and the interviews last between 10, 20, and a half an hour. Okay. Um, but with any kind of longer piece, like the New York Times or something, if they do a profile, she'll be very particular about the journalist. You know, she has to really trust them because, as you'll see when you read my book, her life has been so misinterpreted and so distorted by so many journalists for 40 years yeah. that she rightly so doesn't trust, you know, right. who she's just to pick somebody out of a hopper. So when I started doing this, she also had started working on an autobiographical film or the idea that she was going to do a film. So it would have been a conflict with that. And, and plus, I heard through the grapevine that she wasn't ready for a biography. So all of that's fine. You know, I kept hoping in the back of my mind that maybe she would decide to talk, but uh, she didn't. And so that closed a lot more doors because if she's not talking to me, then the people in her very inner circle aren't talking either. So, but that's all right. There were enough people who weren't in that inner circle Mm -hmm. who were interesting enough and had new enough stories that it made it a really rich experience. And plus, all the people who've worked with her and Madonna herself have been talking nonstop for 40 years. So Mm -hmm. I had print interviews, audio interviews, you know, radio, TV interviews, and internet interviews, podcasts, you know, you guys have changed the world. Mm -hmm. And so it was really, I had, if anything, too much material. Might she read this? I hope so. And might you hear from her? It would be great. (laughs) So that, you're you're open to that, obviously. You'd love to. Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, it could have been 1,600 pages. Yeah. It, could, I, it should have actually been two volumes, you know, kind of, oh, ooh, sorry, kind of up well, to... Well, she is in Churchill, for Christ's sake. No, but, you know, look at Bob Dylan. He's got a two-volume, and all he did was write music and, you know, play music. I mean, he was also a cultural figure. But when you think about the, the many aspects, I mean, it's, 
it's something that she actually kind of invented this new pop creature, which was someone who didn't go beyond the boundaries of one type of art form. You know, she she allowed herself to become everything, you know, and she did she did it really well, all these different things. So there was just a lot to say. You you said earlier she revolutionized culture. Yeah. What is Taylor Swift doing? Is there a comparison? Yeah, I mean she's she is the offspring of Madonna. Really? You know, oh yeah. I mean this tour you know, I look at parts of it and I think, oh my God, I can see exactly where the traces are that lead back to a tour Madonna did in 1990 called Blonde Ambition. Before Madonna, a woman hadn't been able to fill an arena. You know, in fact, record companies and promoters didn't think that a woman could do that. U2 could, Prince could, mm -hmm. Michael Jackson could. Madonna had to try to convince them that she could too. So the Beyonce's and Taylor Swift's of this world um, are on those stages making that kind of money, you know, because, because of, of Madonna. Yeah. yeah, and Gaga, too. And Gaga, too, right. Yeah. Exactly. Is Gaga an offspring of Madonna? Yeah. So anyone really is. Yeah, anyone she really She was the is. first to fill an arena. Exactly. All and right. she was the first pop star to have a role in the songwriting, the production, the presentation, you know, every aspect, you know, you can call it a control freak, but she, she is there at, from the conception to the time that. Ex but to know, get that clout, you, you, they wouldn't just in good faith say, yeah, we're going to do this. What was her, was it her first album that they, she opened some eyes and they said, wow, we got something going here. And then it's a race to see you know, her, her blossom or do whatever, because she can't, you know, go right in there and say, I'm going to direct, I'm going to do all this stuff, even though she wants to do it in her mind, because right. the record companies are going to say, you're not there yet. Yeah. There's what made really, her there? There's a really funny anecdote. When she, she had her first single in 1983, and that sold okay, except in those, di in those days, and I don't know if you guys remember this, but there were black radio stations and white radio stations. Yeah. And very yeah. few black stars made it to white radio. Tina Turner was there. Michael Jackson was there. This right. is, I'm talking about the early 80s. Prince Sly, was there. Yeah. Sly was there, yeah. yeah. But there was really what they'd call apartheid radio in those days. And Madonna's first song, Everybody, sounded black. I mm. mean, I don't even know what that sounds like. But anyway, that was mm -hmm. the perception. And so her record company said, well, we'll just sell it to, you know, put it on black radio. And so when her first album came out, there was still that problem. You know, who's her audience? They didn't yeah. really know. And it didn't catch on either. It sold maybe 200,000 copies, I think, her first album. Oh, wow. But when the, remember the song Holiday? Oh, yeah. 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 That song caught fire with DJs. Mm. And that was the first song to move from, you know, black radio to white radio and make Madonna who she is. And that's, suddenly it was yeah. everywhere. That's what it takes is disc jockeys because record companies... Uh, have long been known for sabotaging their mm -hmm. own artists. Exactly. Just, just because of their ill-conceived perceptions. Yeah, they, a lack of imagination, you know, yep. unbelievably. Yep. And so after Holiday, she became a kind of a star, you know, an interesting someone to watch. Mm -hmm. um, but they still didn't trust her. So she did her second album, which was Like a Virgin. And she had this audacious ask. She said, if I want to produce it, I want to do it. Um, was Nile Rodgers. He had just come off producing David Bowie's album, Last, Let's Dance, which was, you know, absolutely huge mm -hmm. and resurrected Bowie's career. And here's this little girl from Michigan saying, that's the guy I want. Mm -hmm. And remarkably, Nile Rodgers went and saw her at a club 
and said, yeah, I want to work with her. Well, so well it, you know who would enjoy this session? John Height. Yeah. Unfortunately, he's not <laughs> yes. with us today. John, our newsman, is a yeah. musician by oh. trade. And How important was it to you to really explore her upbringing? Very important because that's, you know, like all of us and especially artists, that's the root of who they are and what they're trying to say. And, you know, to this day, Madonna's still this little kid from Michigan who at the age of five, you know, her mother died and she was left as a little mother. The father had six children under the age of eight, one of whom was an infant to take care of. And there was no mother and Madonna was five years old and she became the little mother. And so, you know, this kind of passion that she has and this drive that she has and this survival instinct that she has and this sense that she has to control everything comes from that very moment. Um, so, and, you know, she grew up in Pontiac, Michigan, which was where, it's a suburb of Detroit, mm -hmm. where, and she grew up on Motown, she grew up on Souls, she grew up on great music. So, so this little creature that we know as Madonna was formed at that moment, and it was, it's really fun to watch that. There was a, go ahead. What role did Catholicism play? It was huge. It was the absolute foundation because her family was very religious. I mean, they were, her father's conservative politically. But it was less that they were Republican and that they were, you know, U.S. citizens. They were Catholics. The mm -hmm. church was their authority. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they were of the old school pre-Vatican II kind of Catholic. So, I, I've read enough to, to know that she has not necessarily rejected that. No, it's a huge part of her life. I mean, mm -hmm. she's a very spiritual person. And, and she's, um, you know, she loves... Christianity, and she loves the Catholic Church. She has all kinds of problems with it. You know, yeah. it's the beauty of the Catholic Church. Right. You know, it's a love-hate relationship. <laughs> right. You can you can hate the church, but you still go and you go to confession, and then everybody's a friend. Yeah. Um, yeah. But um, that's the kind of relationship she has. And and but you know, she's also very involved with aspects of the Jewish religion, and she studied you know Muslim. She studied Islam, and she studied. Hinduism and she studied Buddhism. So she, she's a very, she's got a very firm grasp of this idea of spirituality, but foundationally it's Catholicism. What so, do you make of her uh, attempt? Is it, would, would it be fair to call what she's doing now a comeback? I don't know. To me, that's the wrong word, yeah. but she's going out on tour again. Physically, it's kind of a comeback because yeah. her last tour, Madame X, which was 2020, was a fantastic tour, mm -hmm. but it was done in really small theaters. It was very intimate, you know, like movie theater type theaters. And, um, but she was really struggling there because she had physical, her, mm -hmm. she had hip replacement surgery afterwards and knee surgery. This one, you know, she's coming back from that brush with death this mm -hmm. summer. Mm -hmm. So in some ways it is, um, it is a, you know, kind of a rebirth of Madonna. Uh, and also because she's doing it as an autobiographical performance. I mean, I haven't seen the show yet. I want to see it. And I don't know when it's coming here. It's I, November, I can only I assume it will. I know yeah, a oh, guy that can get you tickets, though. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's coming to St. Paul. <laughs> I think it's November. Yeah. I think so. I think so. But anyway, um, it's this fantastic autobiographical journey. So, And she calls it celebration. So it's really a celebration of her life. And it's really a gift to her fans because forever they've wanted her to do the old songs and, you know, take them on that journey again. Well, and going back to Taylor Swift, she's doing what's called eras. Yeah. This is uh, weird, the way they're mirroring each other. Yeah, but it's funny, you know... I mean, I am old enough to to think of Taylor Swift and think, how many eras she, could she possibly right. have? Right. I mean, she's pretty yeah. young still, isn't she? She's 34. Yeah. And, you know, she Ma is? Oh. Madonna's 65, so mm -hmm. she's got a, a lot of 
a lot of eras to go through. But I think that, um, you know, I don't know how much one was influenced by the other in deciding on this. I, Madonna is influenced by people, but I don't think that she would have gotten this idea from that. I think more it was that she was working on this film and the film couldn't go places she wanted to go. Mm-hmm. You know, basically she had, I, I've only read about it, so I'm, I'm only saying what's in the press, but Paramount was going to fund it. And, and from what I've read, they didn't want her allowed to go as dark as she needed to go for some aspects of her life. Mm. And so mm. she, she, having gone through her life, and I can imagine that happening because when I wrote this book, you know, you can't learn about Madonna's life without also traveling through her music and her videos. And it's so much fun. And I'm sure she did the same thing when she was going over what's going to be in the movie. And so, you know, she would have had a soundtrack and that soundtrack is now becoming this concert tour she's doing. In the movie, does she let her guard down? It seems to me the last time we saw the real true Madonna that, you know, has bad breath in the morning and might occasionally fart was the uh, 1987 interview with her husband, Sean Penn. I think we saw the real human being Madonna there. And it's been my opinion ever since she's had her guard up and she's always aware when there's reporters or cameras, et cetera, et cetera. And she's very protective of herself. Yeah. Do you- I don't I don't know if I agree. I mean, I think definitely in those days she was much less protective. Yeah. And that's part of the reason why her marriage failed, because she admits that she let people into her life by being yeah. so open that she shouldn't have. But, right. um, but you know, her film Truth or Dare, the 1990 film. Yep, I remember. I yeah. Saw, yeah, I saw it a couple times, It actually. was great, yeah. 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 And, yeah. She, and she was really open there. And, you know, you look at it and you say, oh, wow, she had, you know, it was probably very choreographed and they had practiced these scenes, you know, what we know to be reality TV today. Yeah. And the director, Alice Kashishian, says, absolutely not. Oh, really? She, yeah, she said, the one thing, don't ever ask oh. me to do anything. Just film. And she said, and he said, when I came into a room and she said, get out of here, I told my camera people, keep filming, you know. Hmm. So he hmm. said it was so different from what we know of reality TV today. And there were a couple moments that he set up, but he said they were, there were about three of them. She, she had permission to talk to her. her she got her father's permission to talk um, oh. on camera with him. But other than that, there were a couple moments, but in general, it was all unscripted, all Madonna. And she said that in the editing process, if she was doing something on camera that made her feel uncomfortable, that she thought, am I really like that? She left it in because she knew that that was a real moment. You know, if she didn't want people to see her that way. Right. Is her father alive? Yeah. Are they close? Yeah. Very close. Yeah. 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 Once the money started coming in, they patched her up real quick. (laughs) Uh, She is going to be here. uh, She's rescheduled from July 30th on February 13th at XL Energy. Oh, okay. Great. How long are you in town, Dickie? A week? Yeah. You have time to enter the center of the American Experiment Golden Turkey Awards. Oh, do I? Sure. And uh, what that is, it we uh, we try to t- keep track of how much money the Minnesota government wastes, and the center of the American Experiment gives out the Golden Turkey Award every year, Dickie, and, and you could you could enter. Uh, so all you have to do is go to americanexperiment.org slash golden turkey, and the winner will be, uh, the finalists will be named on October 30. 
I don't the, think he's calling you a turkey. What no, he's saying is you can have a submission right. of a... Okay. And the winner of the uh, 2024 Golden Turkey Award will be announced right here on this show. November 22nd, we'll announce it. So if you have an example of ridiculous spending, spending in Minnesota's government, go to americanexperiment.org slash golden turkey. Also worth visiting their website every day, americanexperiment.org slash golden turkey. Um, breaking news. Hi. Breaking news. Uh, Representative Tom Emmer has won the GOP nomination as House Speaker. So he got 217 votes? He must have. That's, now it has to go to the floor. I'll read more, yeah, now yeah. we'll see, but I think he may have the juice. All right, we'll come back. We'll more later. You know, the investment game can be awfully tricky, especially in these volatile times. And that's why you need the best and also somebody that you can trust. And that's why I rely on Josh Arnold. We know him as Mr. Money Talk around these parts. And he's here for you. So give him a call today for that free 48-minute no-obligation consultation by dialing 952-925-5608. 952-925-5608. Josh has been at this a long time with a track record of success, and he's here to help you. So give him a call today. No obligation. Obligation. That's right. No obligation. It's absolutely free. 952-925-5608. And tell them you heard about him here on the Garage Logic Podcast. Investment services offered by Josh Arnold Investment Consultant, LLC, a security investment advisor. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. All investments involve risk. All comments and opinions are Josh Arnold's and do not constitute investment advice. Chris Reavers is a paid endorser. This isn't working again. Huh. How about this then? <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen of Garage Logic, it's time for another segment of Author's Corner with Joe Souchere. Author's Corner. Sometimes it gets a little bit crazy. <laughs> high production. High, very high value production. We'll, we'll jump right back into Author's Corner. But first, uh, for the rest of October up at Maple Grove Lock and Safe, all in-stock Liberty Safes running 20% off to make room for all the new stock coming in, 20% off. Huge savings, do the math, especially when we're talking thousands of dollars. And to make matters even more interesting and awesome, Mr. Rich, the owner, he'll also throw in a free accessory installation when it comes to protecting our valuables. The combination of Maple Grove Lock and Safe and the Liberty Safe. That's the best option we have here in the United States and in the Midwest. Rich has been a big deal here for over 30 years. You might be pleased to learn that Liberty has a new policy now regarding keeping backdoor access codes um, to assist you if you happen to lose yours. A brand new policy. If you're interested in that, make sure you ask Rich about that. And remember, 20% off any in-stock Liberty safe for the rest of October. Accessories installed for free. Uh, Rich is shopped at 6901 East Fish Lake Road in Maple Grove. And of course, on the web, maplegrovelockandsafe.com. It's time for Author's Corner with okay, Joe Sushir. And this one is a strike. Joe, may I? Uh, no. Just a oh, minute. Okay. All right. We're lucky enough to be joined by Mary Gabriel. We're calling her Dickie because I've been calling her that for 65 years. And Mary is the author of Notorious Victoria, The Uncensored Life of Victoria Woodhull, who was a visionary suffragist, the first woman to run for president. Mm -hmm. uh, that came out in 1998, The Art of Acquiring a Portrait of Etta and Clarabelle Cohn. That was in 2002. Love and Capital, Carl and Jenny Marks in the Birth of a Revolution. Ninth Street Women, Lee Krasner, Elaine de Kooning, Grace Hardigan, Joan Mitchell, and Helen Frankenthaler. Five Painters in the Movement that Changed Modern Art. 
and now Madonna, A Rebel Life. I'm noticing a, a trend there, Dickie, that you find some uh, very cutting-edge women to write about. Yeah. Uh, Kenny uh, was uh, commenting that he's captivated by the Ninth Street women, and uh, none of them were alive right now. No. 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 I just like ordered you said, it. Madonna is your first live yeah. subject. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to uh, reading that because there's a lot I need to know about um, both uh, uh, Elaine and Lee. Um, I find them both fascinating. Uh, but I want to ask a question about Madonna. The one thing I've really appreciated about her is, uh, and pardon the expression, I don't mean to <clears throat> offend anybody, but I've always considered Madonna to be a badass broad. Mm. You know, willing to stand up for herself and tell you the way it is. And I've always thought that, well, she is full of confidence. She's very self-confident. And I don't understand why she butchered her face with plastic surgery. Why didn't she just let it be? Why didn't she want to grow old? And now, I, to me, she's unrecognizable. And I find it really upsetting. And I know I shouldn't because it's not me. Um, but it just goes against everything I always thought about her. You know, it's funny that that's really one of the most controversial things she's ever done. You know, in a whole career and life of controversy, that's one thing that everyone asks about. And just, I'll answer your question. But my 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 response is, I often, I, I actually don't care what she does with her face. And I'll tell you why. Her, it's not surprising on many levels that she's, toying with or having things done to her appearance because that is what she's always done from the very start. Yeah. You know, she's inhabited these different roles and presented yeah. herself exactly the way she's wanted to. And from the very start, she said, this is my face. This is my body. I'll do what I want with it. You know, basically screw you. You know, this is my right. And that was her first message to young women. You know, you can look how you want to. You can act how you want to. You can be who you want to. I did. And so now she's grappling with this thing called aging, mm -hmm. which is difficult enough for, you know, I don't know, you guys can maybe talk to it from a male point of view, but for a woman, it's very difficult because society has always tried to cast postmenopausal women in this used date, you know, have surpassed your used by date. Right. And it, part of it's sexual, part of it's having to do with childbirth, part of it's having to do with the way you look. And so traditionally women have tried to now modern women because we're we're not we're not confined to the home anymore you have to kind of look young you have to look youthful to 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 make it seem as if you're still pertinent now you take that for an entertainer and you magnify that by 5 million you know there are so many people who have been condemning her to oblivion since the time she was when she was 29 people asked her when she was going to retire they talked about her when she was 29 as if she was still old and yeah. i mean at 29 she was absolutely gorgeous yeah, yeah at 40 she was absolutely gorgeous i argue at 50 she was absolutely gorgeous so now she's doing what she thinks she needs to do to make herself feel good about how she looks so she can go out there and perform and it's really funny that people have such a response to what she's done. And granted, some of the things she's done didn't work and are, you know, upsetting. And I'm sure they're more upsetting to her than they are to us to look at. Most likely, yeah. But, yeah. Um, but it's really, it's more of a, it's a personal thing for her, which I can understand. You know, a woman w wakes up in the morning, looks in the mirror, says, 
I look like shit today. Maybe I'll wear some makeup. You know, where hers is an extreme response to that. I'm 65. I really don't like the way I look. What can I do? And, you know, being one of the richest women in the world, she has a cornucopia of possibilities. Sometimes the thing she does works. Sometimes the thing she does doesn't. But the thing is that people take it so personally, and I find it so interesting. I do. It's I like, don't know why. Yeah, it's like we're feeling betrayed because mom doesn't look the way she always did. Well, you know, that's mom's business. So so I think that's kind of my response to it. And and I think that her fans, you know, once she's on stage performing, all of that goes away because she's Madonna again. You know, she looks on stage. She looks yeah. great. She yeah. sounds great. She's moving, you know, not as much as she used to, but she still moves pretty damn well. <laughs> Yeah, you're so right. That's how it is with Dolly, um, because I also don't like what Dolly's done to her face. But as soon as she starts singing, all of that yeah, goes away. Yeah, 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 yeah. So if that's Dolly. it, Dolly Parton. Dolly Parton? Yeah. Oh, okay. Not a boy. Yeah. There it is. Boy, he came in off the grain card for this, didn't he? <laughs> <laughs> but it is the same thing. I mean, Dolly Parton is a perfect example, because when she first had breast implants, remember, that was a huge thing. I thought those yeah. were real. <laughs> no. No, seriously, I, I didn't no, know no, she this had was a ma- massive. Yeah, yeah, it was big time augmentation, and yeah. that was a massive story. They implanted in those days. small cities inside those. Yeah. Didn't they? <laughs> and now, you know, now nobody talks about it anymore because everybody's doing it. So maybe nobody will talk about Madonna's face in you know ten years because Taylor Swift at the ripe old age of whatever. I, I'm uh, troubled by the idea that you're not getting your due here. Uh, you are a big deal, whether you're going to ever admit it or not, and you. Rarely, you, you won't admit it. You were a finalist for the Pulitzer Prize, the National Book Award, and the National Book Critics Circle Award for the book on Karl Marx's wife. Yeah. That's a big deal. It was surprising. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Karl Marx was a failed newspaper reporter. Yeah, I know. Isn't that funny? It's just amazing to me. Yeah. You know, Dickie, I've written books. Uh, uh, yeah. Let's go into in that. In fact, I... Uh, in fact, I just came off a world tour for uh, for Waterline. You did uh, well. Waterline is a book I wrote years ago, uh, not which a, I reviewed. You did uh, not a big seller. Uh, uh, what did you come away with that? You said you reviewed it. It wasn't eight hundred pages. <laughs> I thought but, it was tremendous. But you know where the name came from? It came from the CP who we were struggling to name that book. And waterline is a perfect name for it because Madonna. each each boat has a waterline. It's the mark where the hull sits above the water. And uh, uh, yeah, I have to give her credit; she came up with borderline. Well, in fact, and that was, was a rejected Madonna. It was going to be waterline. Oh keep on pouring water in the boat. It just keeps on sinking down, down to the waterline. So bo- bo- waterline came from. Borderline. Oh. And like you so had I to guess cut Madonna your... has affected my life. Exactly. And like, like you had to cut your book. What did you cut? 400 pages? 600. 600 pages? I had to yeah. cut. Well, with the uh, how to repair a 10-speed okay. okay. bike, he okay. came in with 200, and they said, just leave it at 10. Nobody's going to buy that crap. 10-page <laughs> <laughs> bike. Does Madonna have a, uh, a particular home that she considers her home base? New York. Oh, it is New yeah. York. It's always, it's her, it's her home both... Personally and as an artist, I mean, New York created her. Michigan gave birth to her, but New York created her. And and it's a time, I mean, that early, that late 70s, early 80s time in New York was unbelievable. And when you think about the music at that time, I mean, you guys all know, 
you especially, Joe, would have, you were playing music in those days, weren't you? Mm-hmm. So uh, it in was a banana time, suit. <laughs> it was a time of <laughs> talking heads. Oh, yeah. Yep. Your eurythmics. Yep. yep. Blondie. Salt, um, dire Straits, and the first rap song, Rapper's Delight. You know, mm-hmm. it's just an unbelievable time for music. And that's where she first moved into the pop scene. And that those were the people she was working around and hanging around. And I think that's one of the things that I found most interesting about this book. You know, you think of a pop artist as somebody who's kind of manufactured by a group of people, like you get the right ingredients and they put it together and you call this person mm-hmm. Madonna and mm-hmm. she emerges and there she is to make a lot of money for everyone. But she really came out of this wacky avant-garde lower Manhattan scene in late seventies, early eighties, where everything was happening. You know, mm-hmm. you know, she played the desperately CBGB. seeking Susan vibe. Exactly, that's yeah. who she was. Yeah, yeah. Wow. What's her hotel in Paris? She has a hotel in Paris, not that she owns, but that she would stay at frequently. I don't know. A guy told me a story once uh, that he was on the outs with his wife, and they were in Paris. And he was trying to do something to impress her. Yeah. And he went to the hotel that turned out to be the, the only hotel in Paris, apparently, that Madonna frequented. And they had no rooms, and he was told, uh, and he kept, he was persistent. The guy had a lot of money. And he said, uh, you must have something. You must have something. I don't care what it costs. And uh, to make a long story short, they put him, they put the couple in the Madonna penthouse of ah. this place and, and he, he remembers it as being almost a gymnasium really with weights and and uh workout equipment yeah. and everything but everything she would have wanted i i don't know why that i'm reminded of that but hmm. I, I get the feeling that I, I had the feeling that she doesn't have a, a singular home but you're telling me it's new york yeah you know she has had she wherever she works most you know she establishes a residence partly because now she's got you know so many children and it's too hard to keep renting places, but so when she's in Los Angeles, she had a house there. But her, but throughout her life, you know, I I broke the book down. Somebody called it Datelines, and I guess that's a good way of looking at it. You know, Michigan, New York, Hollywood, Miami, London, Lisbon. Each of those places she's had homes. Um, each of those places she's lived in. But New York is really home base. Has she hung on to her money? Oh, yeah, she's great with money. But you know what? It's funny. She once said to Howard Stern, he asked her why she's not a billionaire because she could be a billionaire, you know, a couple times over, but she gives away so much money. Her her philanthropy is something that even though people say, oh, she, you know, does everything for publicity. Mm -hmm. Did you know that she was a philanthropist? I mean, most people don't. She's the biggest single donor to this country in Malawi where her four of her children are from. I was going to say through her adoption. Yeah. yeah. She... um, she has foundation. Her she's got a couple foundations, charitable foundations, but they fund in the Democratic Republic of Congo, in you know, in various places in Africa, in Pakistan, Afghanistan, in in the Middle East. She, when Trump cut funding for UN schools in the Palestinian territories, she picked up the tab to pay the teachers. Mm-hmm. So she does all this stuff with her money and. Um, and doesn't talk about it, you know. So she's she's really. Is she pro-Israel? 
she is pro-Israel. She's pro-peace. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and she, as I say, she's supported the Palestinians in many ways. Well, many but Palestinians in, do not hate Jews. Exactly. So this is the thing, you know. Uh, but they elected Hamas as their governing but body. But that was a 2006. It was a fluke yeah. election. Yep. You know, it should have never happened. It was kind of a, we won't get into that. But yeah, anyway, that's not. Um, but uh, she came out and be, made a I'm statement. Sorry. Yeah. 850 million bucks. That's what she's worth? Yep. Yeah. That's her estimate. Um, she, uh, she came out and made a statement in f- support of Israel, and she's now had to have extra security added really? on her tour. Really? But she, you know, she always does this, and, mm-hmm. and it's one of the things that I think is so remarkable. She is not afraid of anything, mm-hmm. you know, afraid of stepping into the middle of things, even though pop stars aren't supposed to have political opinions. Mm-hmm. But what a sad indictment that is yeah. on society and the fact that you've yeah. got someone that is a philanthropist. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And also does all this humanitarian work and yet still has to have added security because she happened to make a statement. Yeah, yeah. That's just, that's so sad. Yeah, it is sad. But it's happened throughout her career when she had a tour in 2012 where she made a lot of statements along the way. And it was a famous tour where, I don't know if you guys remember, but she would do a strip tease during the the concert. And Mm -hmm. she didn't strip down completely, but she, you know, Mm -hmm. down to a bra and pants. Um. And and someone asked her why, and she said, someone someone said, why do you think you have to, why do you have to show your ass? Mm-hmm. And she said, and this is so brilliant to get your attention, mm-hmm. which is true. Mm-hmm. Who's going to look at her? if She keeps her clothes on, mm-hmm. so she would strip. And at the end of her runway, when she was only wearing a bra, she would have a political message written on her back. Mm. So in Turkey, where women were you know told by one government to look Western and by another government to wear a veil. She put on her back, no fear. Mm-hmm. And when she was in um, Russia, when the Pussy Riot, remember that band yeah. had just been yeah. thrown in jail? Mm-hmm. Yeah. She put, wrote Pussy Riot on her back. Mm. And so, you know, wherever she went. And That's after, a real ballsy to do that in Russia. Exactly. She was <laughs> yeah. almost arrested. Yeah. There were 10,000 police around her concert hall. Wow. So, I mean, she is this lightning rod wherever she goes. And um, so... She's always done that. And in fact, one time she was supposed to go to the Middle East for a tour. And her advisor said, don't go because we think there's going to be a war between Israel and Iran. And she said, that means I'm really going to go. Mm-hmm. You know, she just wants to get into yep. the middle of it. But it, it comes at a cost. You see, Joe, that's what we need to boost ratings. <laughs> Nudity. Show your yeah. ass. Show your yeah. ass. Yeah, Come on, Joe. Joe. Let's Come see on. it. Nikki, you had to have run into people who said, yes, but she's not a role model. She's crash. She's profane. Yeah. Oh, she's yeah. vulgar. She's overtly sexual and on and on and on. And how did you answer that? I mean, there are many people who say that, but honestly, there are more people who love her. Mm-hmm. Her fan base is global and it's in the darkest places in the world, there's a young writer, well, she's not so young anymore, but at the time she was, who grew up, she was Pakistani, but she grew up in Saudi Arabia. And she described, she and her little girlfriends came across, one of, they, she went to an American, an uh, international school in Saudi Arabia, and her little girlfriends came across Madonna's album and were listening to it. And then they came across the video from her first tour called A Virgin Tour. Mm -hmm. And it was one where her father comes and grabs her off stage and pulls her off and pretends that he's mad at her, you Mm -hmm. know, tells her to stop acting like a brat. And these little girls in Saudi Arabia were watching this. And this this writer who's now lives in America said, we watched it three times until my mother caught us. Mm -hmm. But she said, by the end of it, we were jumping on the bed because Madonna represented ideas that they had never even conceived of, mm-hmm. that you could be a girl 
and command a stage and be a girl and say naughty things, mm -hmm. you know, and and have and, and then have your father come off and yell at her. And and she said, you know, that was my dad talking to me. And she just had this reach globally. So I think that there are many millions of detractors who don't get Madonna, don't want to get Madonna, will never get her. Um, but there are millions and millions of fans around the world who really do, and she's really touched them. If you had the book to do over again, would you? Yeah, I would. You like doing I, I, it? I, I, it was really hard. How it was the hardest it book, five years. But that's not even the longest I've worked on a book. But it was definitely the hardest. Maybe it's my age. Maybe it's, um, you know, it was the, I wrote it during the whole COVID period. So that was very difficult because it changed how I approached the book. But, and also just because she's so difficult and so complicated and, uh, and so multifaceted. I mean, Karl Marx was a piece of cake compared to her, you mm -hmm. know? Uh, so it was really tough, but I learned so much and I enjoyed listening to her. You know, mm -hmm. I had to spend five years every day listening to this woman and, and it was great. You know, I did a lot of good cooking and dancing, and it was fun. Mm -hmm. Lift up M Madonna's peak time and put it over to right now with social media. Is yeah. she bigger than Taylor Swift, or does she equal? Well, I think so. I mean, I think culturally, I mean, I don't know. You know, I'm sure Taylor, Switch, Sw Taylor Swift's reach is enormous. Mm -hmm. But I think that Madonna... Let's say Madonna in late 80s, early 90s. With social media now. With social media would be absolutely huge. Yeah, yeah. that would just I mean, blow up. Yeah, yeah. Because even at the time without social media, yes. she was absolutely Leg warmers, huge. the wristband. Everything. And you know, you hair. asked me, and I'm sorry I didn't answer your question. You asked me about how she convinced them to give this arena tour. It was an organic thing. You know, she said, I want to go on tour. So they threw her, you know, some Warner Brothers threw her some money. She had a, a band, you know, a couple dancers, a couple backup singers. And all of a sudden, the, the, these shows started selling out. They booked her into really small places. Then they moved her to midsize arenas, and still they were selling out, and they had to add dates. And it's because record companies, in addition to being blind as to what category she fit into, they didn't realize that a female audience would come out, because that was her initial, you know, mm -hmm. audience. Mm -hmm would come out to scream for a woman. You know, they had known that young women screamed for the Beatles or, you know, the Elvis. Rolling Stones or whatever, but that they would actually come out in force for a woman. They couldn't conceive of that, and she proved that they could. So, mm. so that's when it happened. It wasn't that someone said, oh, yeah, she's really good. It's that they were shocked at, how, mm. at the response to her, wow. and that changed everything. She must look at the stones and think, I got another 15 years to do this. Yeah. I, I mean, it, she, you know, she could easily have another 15 years. I don't know if she'd be up for another arena tour, but mm -hmm. she could easily. I mean, I, I sometimes imagine her doing kind of a Bruce Sting, Springsteen thing on Broadway mm -hmm. where she's in one place and she would fill it night after night. Mm -hmm. Okay. If Gaga wanted to play a small club, she could with just a piano. Mm. Could Madonna do that? She could, yeah, she could. But you know what? I think that it's it's funny because she she had an album called Rebel Heart in 2015, and, and she said that what she wanted to be able to do with that album was write songs that if it was just her and a guitar yeah. on a stage nowhere, yeah. she could do it. And so Love she, to see that. She proved yeah. that she could, um, and she does play piano. But I think that with her, you know, she has to be as turned on by what she's doing as the audience is. And she needs a combination of visuals and sure. and also support. She once said, 
some people can be a genius alone, but you know, I'm not one of them. I mean, she admits that she's a collaborative artist. She likes to work with people because they make her better. Not that she's not good alone, but she likes this group. Like you hear a that, Joe? It's the way we make Such yeah. better. He'd be nowhere without us. Nowhere. Are you on an official book tour? No. You came home to see mom. Yeah. You live in Ireland. Yeah. You write in Ireland. Yeah. And, but you have, are you going to, or have you been doing a tour? No, this, these days, everything is Zoom. This is my first. Really? Face-to-face -face appearance. Well, we were known for that. I know. Yeah. And I'm so thrilled to do this. We're known for that because we had Vince Flynn would always do this yeah. show before he did any yeah. other show. Well, maybe show. that's it. Maybe this is the key. Maybe the, you're the door that unlocks the tour, Joe. It, it could be. <laughs> it could be. Uh, he didn't even interview himself when he had uh, MacDriver. Oh, Mad River. Mad River. Mad River. Don't be. We're not wrapping this up, Such. I've got a million more questions. Don't wrap this up. Well, fine. I have to take a break, though, and tell you that I hope in Ireland. Dickie, do you have a garage in Ireland? We do. Well, I don't think Precision Garage Door of the Twin Cities can get there, but if they could. Might be worth a call. But if they could. You'd have a garage door that was working expertly. They have five-star Google ratings. All my emails from people who've used them are fantastic. It's the number you got to put in your phone closet. You know, you need a garage guy. And with these guys, Precision Garage Door of the Twin Cities, you get the whole Garage Logic family. They'd serve the uh, metro in western Wisconsin. They don't charge extra for we for weekends, and they do everything, and they do it correctly, and they're really good people. They'll, when I say everything, they'll even include a new door if you need a new door. And uh, they fix doors correctly the first time. Get help online immediately at precisiondoormn.com or 612-263-6985. Logic Town Council member. Here's what you're missing. It's Grant's birthday, so we need to wish Grant a birthday. Who's Happy that? birthday. Grant produces Lori and Julia down the hall. I don't know Grant. Grant is the kid. And I don't give a that it's his birthday. <laughs> yeah, why, why do I have to do that? Well, no, Rocco's is putting it, together yeah. something. Tell Grant <laughs> to kiss my big fat butt. That's his birthday <laughs> wish. Grant, I, kiss uh, it. Hey, Grant, if I knew who you were, I'd wish you a happy birthday. Grant had you sign that really cool microphone. BFD. <laughs> Grant's, okay. Grant's a Grant good, good fella. Grant's one of the nicest kids That's in the building. He really is, and he's a That's huge fan like of the you, show. Grant. You're way too nice. <laughs> Go behind the scenes of Garage Logic with unfiltered audio and video access, invites to exclusive events, an emailed newsletter from the mayor himself, and more by signing up at garagelogic.com. Here's a man who spends hours in hardware stores, sifting through the nuts and bolts of life. Joe Souchere. I've got the answer right here. You want to help your engine run better, last longer? Seafoam motor treatment is the answer. It cleans harmful gum and varnish from the entire system. It's safe. It's easy to use in all kinds of cars, trucks, machinery, small engines, whatever. Just pour it in your fuel tank. Let it work. Seafoam also works great in oil, heavy uh, oil residue and deposits. They form naturally over the years, and they can restrict oil flow 
Seafoam gets rid of these residues and deposits so they can just be drained away the next time you change your oil. You can pick up a can anywhere that fine automotive chemicals are sold. We're talking auto parts stores, big retailers, snack hardware, farm stores, uh, even grocery stores all over this world. A local company, a global reach, and a wonderful product in a world of bad gas, Seafoam. We're lucky enough to have Mary Gabriel with us. Mary's latest book is Madonna, A Rebel Life. And we failed to mention, Dickie, you're you're a Minneapolis kid. I am. Regina High School? Yep. Yeah. And where did you go to college? I went to the University of Minnesota for a year. And yeah. then I left and went to school in Paris. And then I started bouncing around from school to school. And I ended up at the Maryland Institute College of Art to study painting. And then oh. I got a graduate degree at American University in Journalism. So there is a method to your uh, love of the Ninth Street women. Yeah, definitely. In fact, Grace Hardigan, one of the figures there, was a teacher at the Maryland Institute. But she was the head of the graduate department. And I, I had nothing to do with her because she was such a terrifying person. Oh. <laughs> so I mean, you and Rookie have the same career path. Yeah. You both went to the U of M for a year. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's about it. And then was asked, <laughs> asked to leave, but I didn't go to France. Oh, got it. You know, it's funny. There's a lot of people there in the building at Hubbard that won't have anything to do with Joe uh, because he's so terrifying. Also. Oh, yeah. Uh, that, that's not true. Do you, do you, do you, uh, did you want to ask Dickie about the Ninth Street Women? Set, set the scene for me, uh, Ninth Street Women. What brought that book about? How, how did that happen? Well, this, this woman, Grace Hardigan, um, after I graduated from school, I went to journalism school, and I ended up working at an art magazine in D.C. And Grace was about 65 at that time, and she was having a she was having a comeback. And so my editor said, "Would you go and talk to her?" And I thought, "Oh my God! You know, I spent four years avoiding this woman, and now I have to go talk to her one on one." So I was ready, but it was one of those really reluctant interviews. And yeah. she was just so incredibly warm and wonderful. And I was supposed to talk to her for an hour, and we talked for four hours. And she told me this story of art that I had never heard, even though I'd gone to art school for four years, and I had studied art history mostly. And she and it was a story of painters and poets and women and men and gay and straight all living this incredibly wonderful life during World War II and the and the and the fifties in New York City, where they created work that shifted, ultimately shifted the center of the art world for the first time in from Europe to New York. And they were this ragtag bunch of wonderful people. And that story's been told many times, but it's been the story of Jackson Pollock and Willem de Kooning and these hard-drinking guys. Right. And the story Grace told me was about the women in that group who were actually essential to that movement, not just because of the work they did, but because of their influence. You know, Lee Krasner was married to Jackson Pollock and right. basically kept him alive to create the works that literally did change the world of art. And Elaine de Kooning, who was married to Willem de Kooning, taught the world how to interpret these works because she was a, not just a painter, but she was an, also an art journalist. So, you know, I realized that there's a story there. And, you know, these women were wild and reckless and really fun. And so 20 years later, I was looking for a subject after I finished the Marx book and... I remember this, and my agent, who is just, you know, wonderfully perceptive, um, said, yeah, it's time to do that one. And I did, and it was just really great and fun. And that book really resonated because women in art 
are so neglected. You know, in art schools, 70% of the people are women. Mm-hmm. In galleries, 7% total are, wow. women, are women artists. Wow. Yeah. That's, wow. Yeah. You can get into group shows as a young artist, but once there's any money on the line, collectors simply don't buy women. It's changing now, thank God. Um, but do you, own, do you own any works by any of them? No, I don't. I couldn't afford to now. Right. Isn't that something? Uh, yeah. I'm perfectly willing for you to ch- uh, change my opinion here yeah. regarding Lee and Jackson. Yeah. To me, uh, and keep in mind, my taste in art is it's Velveeta and Spam, okay? Uh-huh. So you're going to have to deal with some stupidity here. But to me, Jackson's style of painting changed when he met Lee. Yeah. And I think it's always been my opinion that Lee had a heavy, heavy influence on Jackson's later work. Definitely. Is, that's true? Okay. You're absolutely right, because before that, you know, the painter Thomas Hart Benton, the very traditional American mural kind of painter, you know, the, the, yeah. the federal art project kind of style. Yeah. That's who Pollock's teacher was. And so he was doing kind of half Mexican muralist things, right. half Thomas Hart Benton. And then Lee saw what he was capable of and introduced him to this new world, which was abstract painting. Yeah. And it just opened up. Plus, she got him sober for a really critical three years. And during those three years, he became the Jackson Pollock that we know today. And then, of course, he started drinking again, and then he died shortly after. But um, but she really was instrumental to, to you know who he became and, and the fact that he was able to produce anything. Did she move him out of New York? For a while? He, no, they... it was actually his idea. They moved to Long Island. They oh, went okay. out there for a holiday, and it was so peaceful. And this was during the war. So yeah. you can imagine, you know, the idyllic kind of landscape of Long Island when you're in a town like New York where there are, you know, air raid sirens going off and blackouts. And yeah. every day the headlines are about, you know, the most horrible kind of decimation. So they went out there and had a great summer, you know, and as you always do on holiday, you think, oh, let's stay here, you know, let's buy a place. So she said that, and Pollock actually said, yes, let's do that. They had no money. I can't remember what they had. I think they had something like $46 to their name. Wow. And they found a place they needed 3,000, you know, and where they were going to get 3,000 was really, you know, it was like like they have to win the lottery. But anyway, he worked some people, she worked some people, and they got the money together and moved. And were absolutely stone broke. I mean, beyond broke for about six years. Mm-hmm. When I I've been at, longer than that. That's not yeah, tough. My whole life. Uh, I really, really love Jackson's late work, the mm. stuff he did before he passed away. But if I was given the option of a, a free piece of artwork, I would definitely take Lee over Jackson. Wow, that's so She's, great she to is hear. so much better she to, is uh, to so me. Great. Yeah, Um, and I think there's a real stark difference uh, between the two. Um, What I don't get um, is Elaine and Willem, her husband. It seems like it could be either or painting. Is is that? I think it's just my unrefined taste. But it they seem like they're the same person when I look at their artwork. Really, that's funny. I don't. Yeah, is that wrong? I think it's wrong. Yeah, I think he's definitely somebody kidnapped Kenny. Who is? (laughs) Who is? is I don't dare. Is up there. I I don't dare show this side to Such. This does. It never comes out. Uh Dicky, among your admirers for Ninth Street Women was Steve Martin. Yeah, people. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh, cool. I think he had great words about. Yeah. Well, he's a painter. Yeah. Yeah. Did they, those women and their husbands, did they ever hang around and know the people 
Maybe it was a different timeline. I'm thinking uh, Algonquin Roundtable. No, it was a different timeline. Well, no, actually, it was. They were contemporaneous, but they weren't. They didn't know them. I mean, these people. Wasn't the Algonquin Roundtable writers? Yeah, they were. Yeah. But, they, but a lot of writers hung around with this group of painters, and that's what's so fascinating to me. I mean, they had this place called the Club, which sounds like heaven. It was basically a, a room that they rented where they could all go and drink coffee or get drunk or dance or whatever they wanted to do and not be bothered by anybody else. And it was writers and painters and composers, and they were all there, and art historians. And um, there were no rules. Um, and, in fact, when the FBI would come there during the McCarthy era to find out what was going on, Elaine de Kooning, who could charm anybody, would be sent to talk to the FBI agents, and she'd smile and walk them back down the stairs and lock the door behind them, and that was the end of it. But... Um, I think that these downtown painters, they were so obscure that the Algonquin people wouldn't have even paid any attention to them. You know, these people were so unknown. In order for them to have a show, they had to finance it themselves. And that's why the book is called Ninth Street Women, because it was a show called Ninth Street, the Ninth Street Show. And it was in 1951. And they literally scrounged together money and had this young guy, this young Italian guy named Leo Castelli, who'd never, who was working for his father-in-law um, in a in a t-shirt factory in Queens, hang some of the art. So, I mean, that's how unknown all of these people were. And so, you know, the Algonquin crowd was the aristocracy of the art world. And these people were definitely, to quote my friend Karl Marx, the proletariat. Why is Karl Marx your friend? I'm just joking. I hope so. <laughs> just because I spent so God many years me. with Joe, I spent so many years with him. Yeah, yeah. Rook and I were wondering who's the famous artist behind the dogs playing poker. <laughs> we have that <laughs> one hanging that on our lawn. That would be Reaver's extent of his. Yeah, that's yeah. my art. Knowledge. I'm really, really looking for. I'm very excited to read Nice Do we Street have Women. A copy that I can't home? wait. Yeah. I can't wait. Well, don't we have a copy? If that's you too late. I, I already ordered it. Oh, and okay. I apologize to Mary for not. Not reading it before the oh, interview. Don't be, I'm no, no. Well, so you can sorry. add another room to the cottage. Yeah, great. In Ireland. Yeah. <laughs> Mary, I can't thank you enough. Uh, Best I, of luck with Lori and Julia. Yeah, oh, it's been a real honor, Mary. Seriously. <laughs> oh, this has been so much fun. I'll come back anytime. In fact, I'll write a new book just so I can come here. <laughs> there we go. I was going to ask you. The Garage Logic book. Yeah, yeah what's you're next? You're still a young woman. What do you have in mind? Absolutely nothing. I, really? I don't. I mean, at the moment, I, I do not have a word in my veins. Really? I am tapped out. Okay. I have to just take some time off and live my life. What about a novel? No, I couldn't do that, Joe. Really? I, Why? I, I can't think that way. I, I, I wrote one nonfiction book. I've told you this. I wrote one nonfiction book, and the editor I had at the time... When I turned it in, I was really proud of it. She said it was so stupid yeah. that she couldn't believe I had written it. You can join me. We can we can just prop up couches with them. We could easily do that. Yeah. Do you have any great inspirations? Um, who inspired you? Oh, boy. So many people. I mean, I can't think of a single one. I mean, I'm continually inspired. I mean... A lit teacher at Regina? No. No? No. Okay. Oh, actually, actually, there was. There was a woman named... A nun. I shouldn't call her a woman, I guess. Sister Leone. And she was this little, tiny, hairy woman, yeah. you know, with all the <laughs> hair on her chin. And it comes with the costume. And she used, to read, she used to read Hemingway to us. And she was so great. And I, I think that maybe she might have been it. But you know what? I think it was my grandfather. You know, Jennifer and my grandfather was this immigrant from what was now Ukraine. What was He called it Russia, but it was actually Ukraine. And 
he used to have a lot of books and he would read them, but he would hide them in his closet. Hmm. I never knew what that was about, but um, I think it really came from him. I mean, I, I learned the value of books from him. And then why were, in God's name did he hide them? People in that generation did. I don't know why they did. They didn't put up bookshelves. Now he that had you one... mention it, my grandfather did, did that. He? Yes. Yeah. My dad hid his Ian Fleming books behind the stereo. Yeah, well, they were racy. <laughs> yeah, apparently. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. he didn't want you to get a hold of them. Right. But, so, so, wow. Yeah, it's yes. a, it was a thing they did. I don't know why. But he had a whole stack of them in yeah, his bedroom. Yeah, and it's because he had the separate closet, yes. and everything was hidden on the top shelf behind yeah. there, behind everything, yeah. clothing, yeah. everything. And yeah. Maybe they thought they would be stolen. I don't know. I don't know. But he had one shelf next to his reclining chair that had the serious books. Remember the Kennedy books? Kennedy books. and yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think that's maybe where <clears throat> it came from, Sister Leone and my grandfather. My grandfather. Margaret Ad- Margaret Atwood, uh, Salinger. Uh, oh, Faulkner. Salinger, I loved. I, I when I was when I was in Paris, I remember I was so lonely because I was really young. I was eighteen, and I those were the days when people didn't just pick up and go. And I don't know why I picked up and went, but um, and I remember reading Salinger. There was this really great bookstore that had an incredible English language section, and I got all of Salinger's books. And I remember reading. I think it was Franny and Zoe, and he had a description of their of their in their of their mother wearing pins on her bathroom. Mm-hmm. And that struck me so much because I realized at that moment, it's those kind of details yeah. that make a book come alive. You know, yeah. that I meant everything. That, I loved uh, Salinger's nine stories. Yeah, so great. For He's so good. Love and Squalor. So great, and, yeah. Uh, he, he made me hate that kid in Catcher. I just hated him. And I always attributed that to his brilliant writing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah he was so great. So there were there were so many. And then, you know, I mean, there was, I'll, I'll do quickly, but I, one of the things that I discovered when I was reading then as a young woman, I liked biographies a lot. I remember the first one was Mary Todd Lincoln when I was in third grade. I read that. But the, I, I realized at a certain point that women were only written about if they had talented husbands. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to start reading about women who were just talented in their own right. And so maybe that's why, to your question, Joe, or your mm-hmm. point, why I write about those kind of women, mm-hmm. because... It's kind of time to say what they were doing. Mm-hmm. No, even though you say you're tapped out, that doesn't mean you are. Uh, it means that you'll get refreshed somehow and you'll have a new idea. You just don't know when. Yeah. In other words, you're not done. I'm not done. I'm just tired. You're just taking a break. <laughs> yeah. How about this right. concept? Oh, boy. These these <laughs> trees are talking to each other, and then they end up robbing banks, and they take over the world. That's not really the plot the idea I have. Take over the sun. <laughs> What's that? Not quite no? that far? No, what, what was are your you concept? talking about? He was no. going to write a novel about trees talking to each other, no, and then no, robbing no. banks, and shootouts, western shootouts. Oh, yeah. How many shrooms were you eating a day? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, Mary, that you've had to put up no, with this. Uh, now you can go back to driving grain cart, Kenny. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah Mary, turn, the, uh, turn the smart off, will you, bud? Mary <laughs> Gabriel, Madonna, A Rebel Life. And uh, by the time this is posted, uh, we could we could advise you to tune in, uh, Lori and Julie, today. My Talk 1071. Yes. My Talk 1071. You'll be joining them. And uh, uh, and I, God only knows what that might be like for you. Yeah. Conversation. Uh, it's going to be a different interview completely. Yeah, yeah. Well, it might well, be great. Be they have a book club. Uh, they were excited to know that you're in town, and uh, I think you'll enjoy it. Well, I've really enjoyed this. I can't tell you guys how much I've loved it. Thank, thank you, Mary. You it's been a real thank honor. You. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. 
Hey everybody, it's John here and I want to tell you how you can eat stress-free this spring with Factors, delicious ready-to-eat meals. You can get their fresh, never-frozen, chef-crafted, dietitian approved meals ready to eat in just two minutes. Weekly menu of 35 options like Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, or Vegan and Veggie. And they use premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, truffle butter, broccolini, and asparagus for the no-fuss meals. And get rid of the hassle of prepping, cooking, or cleaning up. Just heat and serve. My favorite, the jalapeno lime cheddar chicken. Customize your weekly meals to get as much or as little as you need. And you can pause or reschedule deliveries to suit your lifestyle. Head to factormeals.com slash garagelogic50 use code GarageLogic50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code GarageLogic50 at factormeals.com slash GarageLogic50. You get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Truth, Justice, and the Souchere. Truth, justice, and the souchere. Well, here's what I want to tell you guys uh, about a wonderful, wonderful history of Minnesota Masonic Charities. In 2006, all these guys got together, and they said, let's have one umbrella organization. That's where Minnesota Masonic Charities is right now. And again, it, the Freemasons, they're known for their secret handshakes, fancy hats, countless History Channel programs. But they got a whole different side, a very charitable side that is extremely public. They'd rather be known for their Masonic Children's Hospital, the Masonic Cancer Center, the Masonic Institute for the Developing Brain, caring for their elders at the Masonic Home in Bloomington, a wonderful campus they have, millions of dollars in scholarships for Minnesota students, plus another great one, unlocking communication for thousands of Minnesota children struggling to find their voice. You know about George Washington, Ben Franklin, uh, Lucius Ordway, Governor Harold Stassen, James J. Hill. There is such, there's a huge list, and you should look at that list to find out the, the pillars of the community that were Masons. So if you want to learn more about Minnesota Masonic Charities, you can do that by going to mnmasoniccharities.org. Thank you. Uh, we can't we can't let the show go by without mentioning again. Thanks to Mary Gabriel, Madonna, a rebel life. If that was going to be your summer beach book, it'd take you all summer. Right. Long summer. How many pages exactly? Didn't she say eight hundred? It's a hell of a book. And she drops six. I'm, I'm not a particularly interested Madonna fan, but you'll give it a shot, though, won't you? Uh, you know, in bits and pieces, I might. My God, she's thorough. It's so anecdotal. And, or what do you call that when you, yeah, anecdote. It's eight, 809, not counting the epilogue, and she had to trim 600 pages. Wow. Now, do you, did you just do what I did, where at the long books to look in the middle, see if there's a bunch of picture pages there that are, there you are. can deduct 10? Or, okay. Well, we can't uh, let the show go without mentioning that another Mary Moriality plea deal has been rejected. Uh, very rare, J uh, District Judge Michael Burns said yesterday that he did not find 20-year-old Hussein Braveheart particularly amenable to probation. As attorneys on both sides had argued throughout the three-hour court hearing, the judge, Michael Burns, ordered the case for trial unless another agreement is reached by a December 14th hearing. Braveheart was the accomplice uh, in the uh, murder of Stephen Markey. 
Mm -hmm. a 39-year-old paralegal from Plymouth who was killed during a carjacking on June 11th of 2019. Uh, Braveheart was then 15 years old, and the co-defendant, Jared Oshman, then 17. Both drew automatic or semi-automatic pistols at Markey near the intersection of 14th Avenue and Tyler Street Northeast, according to the charges. Oshman told police he ordered Markey out of the vehicle and shot him after seeing him reach for something. Braveheart fired at the vehicle as a bleeding Markey drove off. The teens fled and were arrested after crashing a stolen SUV in St. Louis Park. In the weeks leading up to the hearing on Monday, Markey's family and supporters had sent letters to Burns asking him to reject the negotiation. Uh, Hennepin County Attorney Moriarty uh, negotiated a plea deal in which this uh, uh, Braveheart, who's now, well, what would he be, 18, would not have served any significant prison time. He would have been on parole. I think he's 20. Yeah, I was going to say he's 20 20 now. Yeah, yeah. And... And the judge uh, said, basically, uh, this is ridiculous, uh, Moriarty. Uh, he, he was as culpable as, as can be. Yeah. And uh, he's he's got to uh, have a punishment. I'm rejecting your plea deal. And they're, they're coming back to trial. Uh, what we did before the show was attempt to find out, and maybe we were stupid, uh, who who does Mary Moriarty answer to? Who's her boss? And rookie called the the county attorney's office. She answers to the voters. Yeah, yeah. Right away, she said she's Who's, an elected official. I would have assumed Keith Ellison, but apparently it isn't even that. So a recall uh, movement has been started, right? Right. Who starts that? Just the, citizens. The citizens, and I would imagine that means names on a petition. And that recall uh, is underway, but this is ridiculous. Here's how Mary Moriality needs to be dealt with. And again, that's why we were wondering uh, who she might answer to in terms of a superior. Because what a superior could do is say, look, you're going to have to demonstrate to us what you're basing these decisions on. If it's just your own whim, that isn't good enough. Well, in this case, she thinks that he has made... Uh, great strides and giant headway in his, um, what would be the word, in his... Uh, Rehabilitation. Yeah, thank you, yeah. Okay, In, in that process, but... Yeah, okay, go ahead, answer well, the, answer that. Well, yeah. the big but is, do yeah. you have information for us? Do you have a statistical analysis? Do you have a graph that shows that leniency results in transformation? Do you have a, do you have information that you're studying that you rely on to bolster your belief that leniency is equaling uh, reformation? And that's a great question. If there isn't any, why is she a single individual? Why is she allowed almost right. godlike? To just determine that, well, in this case, I don't think you should go to jail for shooting at the car. Where, where yeah. does that come from? And, and that, with the, what she says, uh, uh, has been great strides. But Judge Burns did a little investigating himself, 
and he found that, uh, well, maybe she not, might not be telling the whole truth. Uh, records show that his treatment has been punctuated by outbursts, disrespect to staff and other residents, episodes of physical violence and harassment to staff and other residents. So, yeah, To which maybe, Moriarty said... He's been taking well to the treatment. He has. Well, then somebody's yeah. lying. Yeah. Yeah. I know where I'd put my money on that, on who's lying. She wanted him to serve one year in the county workhouse and five years of probation. And part of that, Joe, based on the fact that although he didn't kill the fella, she thought it was admirable that he only shot at the car as it was driving away. She somehow gave him credit for being a good cr criminal. A good bad guy. Okay, yeah, a good then, bad guy. then uh, th this Mary Moriality problem is a very simple one. Mary, don't you owe it to, the, it to, to stem the tide of a recall effort? Why wouldn't you hold a big press conference with a big whiteboard behind you and say, here is what I use in making these determinations. Yes. Here is this volume, this volume, this volume. Here's this study from the University of Pittsburgh. Here's yeah. this study from the yeah. University of Chicago. Here's this study from the University of Minnesota. The trend level is my ease of sentencing is can be corroborated by this upward graph that shows uh, no recidivism. I want your formula. And it's because the answer is... There isn't any. There isn't any. This is her. Mm -hmm. And she's not a liar. She told voters she this was her theory. This. She campaigned mm -hmm. on this. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people predicted this very thing was going no, to happen. No, it's all you prematurely gray-haired 42-year-old women who love to feel guilty about crap. You voted for this idiot. And she is an idiot. She is putting bad people well, back on the street. She's either an idiot or she's evil. So show me your material, Mary. Show it to the Minneapolis voters or the Hennepin County voters who voted you in, only to discover that they have tremendous remorse for this. They're now see. I still wish we could get a hold of Sadden Denthana, uh, the woman who was the DFL oh, yes. party chair. Will you keep she, trying? She's gone MIA. She's literally not responding to anything. A woman who who presumably backed up all of this uh, mysterious nonsense only to suffer a horrible carjacking herself, and she's not talking. We haven't found her. But you people in Hennepin County, you voted for this mess, and now you're seeing it. And you, at the very least, what the people of uh, Hennepin County should be doing is demanding an accounting by Mary. Tell us where you get this right. formula that you're using. Her office has got to be just the most toxic work environment in the state. Well, isn't that who uh, you called, Brooke? Is she, there's yeah. been a number yeah. of insurrections within her office, right? Lawyers stepping down, prosecutors saying, no, I'm not, I can't prosecute this. This goes against everything uh, I believe in. Well, and, even Keith applauded the judge's decision yeah. to we know reject the plea. Yeah. Well, a lot of good that does. I mean, Keith's got his own issues. Yeah, but, you know, he, he he was a benefactor of Moriality. He was an endorser of Mary Moriality. You know who would be a good guest is um, the victim's sister, Susan. She's also an attorney. Yeah. 
um, she would be she'd be fun to talk to. Set it up. I'd love to talk What's to her. What's the name, Kenny? Susan Markey. We didn't have to stop talking. Yeah. Just, yeah. You can write that down, can't you? Oshman got 20 years in prison, the shooter. Right. But he he shot at the guy, not just the car. And Braveheart admits everything. He, he's not even said, I'm not guilty. And he, I think he was a tad bit confused that the prosecutor was acting like a defense attorney. Which she was formerly, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I've got a problem right there. Burns, the judge, a former prosecutor and probation officer, said while Braveheart agreed to enter two juvenile treatment programs while his case is pending, not all that time was filled with progress. Records show that his treatment has been, oh, Kenny read that, punctuated by outbursts, disrespect to staff and other residents, episodes of violence and harassment to staff and other residents. Uh, a spokesman for Moriarty issued a statement yesterday saying, well, we we disagree with the judge. Read that statement. It, it's going to, yeah, read it. The agreement balanced the possibility of severe punishment with the reality that this young man with a terrible childhood had succeeded when he was finally given access to intensive resources. His responsiveness thus far shows that continued serious treatment gives us the best chance to protect the public in the future. Instead, his treatment would likely end. If he goes to adult prison, he would likely come out worse than he went in. Our, our proposed sentence acknowledged this reality. Markey's sister, Susan Markey, who was also an attorney, said the family is grateful. Burns rejected the negotiation. She called the judge, uh, judge's action a brave decision. She said, I know judges don't often reject negotiated pleas, she said, to Burns through tears, but this is the negotiated plea to reject. So, Mary, what you owe us, most particularly what you owe the people of Hennepin County is, where are you getting this belief? Do you have anything to back up your belief that treatment for him and no adult prison time is going to result in a human being who is no longer going to uh, commit crimes. Now, you could say, well, is 20 years in prison going to guarantee that he's no longer going to commit crimes? Well, it does for 20 years. Yeah, um, she said it'll make it worse. But uh, the presumptive guidelines call for 22 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So didn't want to let this show go by without noticing or mentioning that the, the pushback is there. The pushback is there. Mary Moriality is not serving the public of Hennepin County. Is there hope for the law-abiding citizens of Hennepin County? What Mary is doing is imposing her own, to my way of thinking, corrupted ideology on the public. Mary is a a bleeding heart who wishes to... uh, insist that her heart bleeding uh, is the way to go. Uh, The public might very well believe that is not the way to go, even though they voted for her. The public might believe, no, we don't want to walk out to our car and get killed. Do you think the recall has any wheels? I think, uh, uh, I don't know the status of the recall, but this certainly will not hurt the recall efforts. Because this is not the first time. But that's going to take time for that to 
It depends how interested the citizens are of being informed of what's happening. You have a county attorney in Hennepin County. Isn't that the state's largest? Yes. It certainly is by population. Yes. Uh, you have a you have a county attorney in the state's largest large yep. most populated county that wants to not punish criminals. That's that's not hyperbole. You would think, Joe, that the voters that voted for her would have enough empathy to put themselves in the place of Stephen Markey and say, if that were me, I would want the people responsible for my murder to serve as much time as possible. You would think. Maybe they don't feel that way. I don't know. The Markeys certainly do. Yeah, the Markeys do. Yep. Say, before I uh, get to the all-important this day in history, because they only come to us from great distances, mm -hmm. I want to tell you that uh, at EcoFund Motorsports right now, they have really embraced winter. Yamaha motorcycles in stock, but they're dwindling because people are anticipating a great snowmobiling season. Snow plows and snow blower, snow blower deals are going on now. Denali Steel Universal Fit snow plows, 50-inch wide ATV on sale, 499 bucks. 72-inch wide side-by-side, -side, 899 Fuel-injected ATVs, snow plow blades, snow blowers, Fuel-injected side-by-sides, uh, not to mention it's still the electric bike capital of the world. It's the capital for all the small gas-powered scooters that turn urban errands into adventures. The great pickup and delivery program for some of your equipment that can be stored by EcoFun Motorsports and taken care of all winter and then returned to you in the spring. Helmets, apparel, great service at EcoFun Motorsports in Forest Lake. It's right on 97, immediately west of 35, and in Burnsville on the uh, service road of life near County Road 42. It's ecofunmotorsports.com. I have, uh, uh, let me set that aside. Sure. Only. Author's Corner. No, we, Suchi <laughs> style. Who will it be next? That didn't seem to throw Dickie. She, I love she, she, knows, it. she knows me well enough to know that this probably was going to be a bleep show. Yeah. Yep. I yeah. love the laser sound effects. Yeah. yeah. Which one's the You really gear? put a lot of work into that, didn't you? I really did. It, uh, Matthew, the thought it, process was... Matthew, it's like being in a Star Wars a war. Thank you. Right? That's again. what I was trying to Joe create. Suchere. The countdown continues. What countdown? <laughs> The countdown. I'm seeing robots and computers. What's the one where we're gearing up? Which I forget what that one's labeled. Uh, it's called. I know what if I saw it. You have no idea what it's called. Author's Corner Seven. Is it number seven? No, I don't know. Oh yeah. It's time to jam with the mayor of GL with another Author's Corner. <laughs> it's time for Author's Corner now. Here's Joe Souchere. Yeah. yeah, the cheap one is probably my favorite. Hey, ladies and gentlemen of Garage Logic, it's time to gear up for Sushere's Author's Corner. Yeah. Shift that truck. Throw her huh? in the medium. Yeah. Throw her in the medium. Can I say, say something about medians? Yes. What the hell yeah. is going on in St. Paul? I, I don't know. Have uh, you driven down Fairview lately? Yes. Every so often... There are bump outs. There's no... There's a concrete island. And let's say you're on... Uh, 
Uh, Call me now. Main Street, and you want to keep going west on Main Street. Here we go. And you want to cross Fairview. Okay. You can't because now an island blocks this. You have to take a right I I haven't been or a left and go. No, you have to take a right. Give me a cross street. A bowling. Okay, where they're doing stuff right now. Yes. I don't know. These are. They're ironically called traffic calming devices. All they're going to do is <laughs> rage. Pee rage. people off. Yes. Yes. Bumpers rage. falling off and ka-ching, ka-ching. And and you, plow. Let me tell you, if you got a vehicle like mine, you just drive right yeah, over I'm, them. <laughs> call that, what do you call that, Joe? When you have that crummy car and you just... Uh, barging? Yeah, barging. You just yeah. you barge right through. What is the point of this? I, 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 to calm you down, Suits. You need to slow down. You're going too fast. No, Share the road. Come no, on. It has nothing to do with interrupting the motorist lane. That lane has not been intruded upon. But between the two lanes are these occasional islands, presumably for pedestrians. But what it also does is prevent automobiles from from their destination in many cases. You'll have millions to... and millions were spent on studying these traffic God calming. God almighty. <laughs> That's crazy. There ain't, this town ain't gonna I mean... nothing left. I mean... There's an airport weather warning until 2.45. Oh, I was going to w- save this for the council. Uh, Jonathan Uhas, um you better get your vehicles in a garage right now. We got 35 knot winds and hail up to one half inch. I don't think when? you're golfing. Uh, start um, time one, end time three. Yeah, Hennepin, Scott by 2 p.m., then Ramsey, Anoka, Dakota, Washington by 2.15. Really? And it's 1.41 as we speak. Yes, sir. Only because they come to us all the way from Manta, Ecuador. From the traveling Lyman's on this day, October 24th, sir. In 1871, a railroad line reached Breckenridge in the Red River Valley. Huh. On this day, 1024. In 1988, Duluth Mayor John Fito went on trial, charged with accepting a bribe and misusing city money. He was, and then the printer cut out. Ah, uh, got it. So I don't know what happened to Fito. He was. <laughs> He what was. the hell happened to him? I have no idea. He, he was. He was. And there's a looks yes. like a, there's an eye. What he says. What he says to the man, he says. Are you a believer? No. <laughs> so that was this day in I history. I am not. <laughs> All right. Thank you, GLers. For Author's Corner. For Author's Corner. All right. Let's uh, swing on over. As usual, before we close out, we want to remind new podcast listeners that we have a YouTube channel you can subscribe to for free. A lot of fun videos. Uh, check it out. YouTube Garage Logic. And then, uh, is somebody throwing pots and pans? I think so. Also, check out garagelogic.com. The town council is very affordable. Ten bucks for a month or $100 for the entire year. That means you get two months free. Big town council event coming yes, up. Yes, we will discuss November 15th. Sign up now. You guys will all be there, won't you, guys? Yes, you will. Uh, That is the Garage Logic Town Council. And at garagelogic.com, there's a lot of great merchandise. But you just just go to the website and poke around, okay? Good job. 
time once again to check in with our guy, Mr. Money Talk. Josh Arnold is with us once again here in Garage Logic, and now's the time for you to do the same. So do not delay. Do what I did. Pick up that phone and dial 952-925-5608. That number once again is 952-925-5608. You call that number, you get Josh, and he is there for you once again for that free 48-minute financial consultation to always give you the straight talk and never, ever sugar-coated advice. And he's on the line with us once again today here in Garage Logic. And Josh, there still are worries about the Fed, but now it's time to focus on earnings. That is correct. Coming with a lot of thunder and lightning. So if anybody hears any thunder and lightning outside, I am outside as we speak. The Fed is down a little bit, at least or is quiet for the next week until they have their uh, meeting right before Apple's earnings on the 2nd of November. But this week, about 40% of the S&P 500 report their earnings, and it's a heavy-duty earnings week. After they close, many are going to be looking at Google and Microsoft to see the direction of technology, advertising, and hear more about artificial intelligence or generative artificial intelligence. Yesterday, we got a little bit of a boost in that area as several chip firms, specifically AMD and NVIDIA, expanded their network with technology company Arm Holdings. All were up a little bit, but the semiconductors are still a ways out from reporting. Today's big news, well, we started with General Motors. They beat the number. Of course, I'm thinking the number was has been reduced somewhat, but they did beat the earnings number. They did not. GM did not do anything with guidance for the full year given the UAW strike. And the UAW strike is aiming to go after one of GM's major plants in Texas. Well, that's going to create a world of hurt or an extending world of hurt. CEO Mary uh, Barra of GM in the conference call said, we can only go so far. We do not want to put the company in jeopardy to meet some of these demands. Well, we'll see how this winds out. Of course, the union leader has said that billionaires don't have a right to exist. And I don't think any of the CEOs or upper management of any of the auto companies are billionaires. Well, maybe the Ferraris, but that's a totally different type of stock. And that does trade under the ticker R-A-C-E. I love cars. I am not a car stockholder. Of course, I'm not a stockholder of a lot of different companies either, as mentioned before. Coca-Cola, an old-time favorite, beat the number, raised their guidance and gave a lot of, I'm not going to say positive news for consumers worldwide, but given the fact that Coke has raised prices and they were still able to increase volumes, to me, speaks uh, very, very loudly. A question was asked to uh, the Coke CEO on the conference call about the effect of some of the weight loss drugs. Two companies that promote or sell those include uh, Eli Lilly and Novo Norsk. And I know that that has been a concern on the conference calls, not only of Coke, but also Pepsi and other food companies. Indeed, Walmart uh, mentioned the weight loss drugs as a reason that food sales or grocery sales at Walmart 
had declined recently. Coke said, nope, no real evidence that that has been happening. Coke does pay a very nice dividend, and Coke is trading at the low end of its range. So we're going to see a lot more numbers come out as the week progresses. I do want to say something about another area shifting from earnings into consolidation. There has been some big consolidation recently in the oil and gas patch as Exxon spent or is spending $60 billion at six zero with a B to buy Pioneer Natural Resources that will up both their natural gas production and some of their oil production and give Exxon more exposure to the Permian Basin. And yesterday, Chevron announced a $53 billion all-stock deal to buy Hess. So that is also a big and significant buy as gas has major fields out in Guyana or outside Guyana that is currently pumping about 400,000 barrels a day. The world is still going to be needing oil and gas to power the economy. And there is, in my estimation, going to continue to be some consolidation in the energy space. Don't know which companies, but consolidation, merger and acquisition activity could continue. Tomorrow, we've got Meta. Thursday, we'll talk a little bit more about Amazon. Very good, Mr. Money Talk. You heard him, GLers. Now's the time for you to pick up the phone and make the call for that free yes. I said free 48-minute financial consultation by dialing 952-925-5608, where you're always going to get straight talk and never, ever sugar-coated advice. Josh, once again, thank you so much for the time and the chat. Have a great rest of your day, and we'll talk to you again on Thursday. Yep, we'll wait for the sun to come out. Investment services offered by Josh Arnold Investment Consultant, LLC, a security investment advisor. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. All investments involve risk. All comments and opinions are Josh Arnold's and do not constitute investment advice. Chris Reavers is a paid endorser.